0: spread hope, and inspire compassion toward those hurting. Mm -hmm. Lastly, by providing my heart with ears and this platform, grievers have the opportunity to share their wisdom and stories of loss and resiliency. How about we talk about grief like we talk about the weather? Let's get started. Welcome to Grieving Voices. Today, my guest is Katie Chinakis. And she will be speaking to us today about her experience uh, being raped an adolescent. Uh, Katie, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Victoria. I appreciate you.
0: Thank you for being here. Um, introduce yourself. Where are you from? How did you get to? Um, what made you to decide that you wanted to speak today?
1: Sure. Um, so originally my family's Greek, I'm from Michigan, I come from a big Greek family and uh, you know my little girl dreams and desires uh, was always to go to California and be involved in the entertainment industry on um, so many different platforms and so now I'm bi-coastal, I live in Los Angeles and New York City and because of what's happening in the world right now we can literally be anywhere in the world so I've actually, uh, I drove home to Detroit and um, I'm here now uh, for a little while, and I've been reflecting and it's wild because um, right now we're in twenty twenty and um, it just came to me this past week that we're in twenty twenty and I left home in pursuit of those blueprints twenty years ago so it's it's a full um, full circle of two decades, and now I can you know look at the blueprint that I designed and created, look at the experiences that I've had thus far with travel, with my career, uh, modeling, acting, music, you know, every which way in in the arts and um, kind of turn over a new leaf as a young adult and just really look at, you know, um, my circumstances as a child through that lens, the journey thus far, kind of reflecting, closing on that chapter and just planting new seeds to create a new blueprint, Um, from a young adult lens with the experience that I've had and, uh, you know, look forward to the next two decades.
0: I love how you describe that. New blueprint. Yeah. Yeah, new blueprint. So, yeah. Would you take us back to the first blueprint?
1: Sure, sure. Um, uh, Well, thank you for holding the space and and having me on to share. Um, I've been in isolation about it for so many years, and I've been in isolation um a lot of times and I listen to some of your podcast episodes and I love the six myths and one is you know when you cry to go isolate or go to a closet or go to your room and do it alone and and you know we're taught these things and um yeah i I feel like um I was that as well, like go to your room or if you're you know you're baby or you know go to your room and or you're grounded, like you're crying it's like go to your room, and it's like even now it's like if I'm crying, it's like you know you're almost da da like you're crying it's like did God put an age on crying mm-hmm. <laughs> you know i'm I'm an empath i'm i'm am ve- I'm an artist, I'm very sensitive, and um yeah, so anyhow um my my experience was um I was 14 years old and I was in um, high school. I was a freshman in high school and I was on the cross country team and I was at a public school, a great, you know, public school. And um, and um, basically um, I had cross country practice and when we had cross country practice, the boys' locker room was to the left, and the girls' locker room was on the right. And we, you know, we had practice at the same time. So when we went out to run, the boys were, you know, on the football field warming up, and we would be going for our warm up, and we would do our run, and we would come back. And when we were coming back, The boys would be finishing up and then, you know, we'd all be in our lockers. And then, um, you know, after you change and take a shower and everything, we kind of all got out at the same time. And there were the side doors to, you know, be picked up from their parents or walk home or ride a bike or however you come and go from school. Right. And um, there was this one boy and he fancied me and it was at the beginning of freshman year. And, um, there was like cutesy stuff back and forth, you know, you know, you're, you're 14 years old and you're like, oh, you know, and you're getting attention from a boy and he's hot. And he's like, maybe the captain of the football team or in my mind he was, or, you know, that's the fantasy of it. Right. Or I don't know. And, um, And he walked me to my locker, you know, like walked me to my locker to get something like a a book or something that I needed to take home. But it was, you know, to, to spend the moment, spend the time in a safe space at a public school, right? Just to go to your locker, to go through the school, to get to the locker. And then I closed the locker door and he puts his varsity jacket on me and he looked at me and he, you know, asked me to be his girl. Like he wanted me to be his girl now, right? And I was just like... You know he's taller than me i was looking up at him and i felt special you know you you feel that feeling and so we're walking back and um the bathroom before you know, we passed all the trophies in the, in the lunchroom to get back to the lockers, he pushed me into the girl's bathroom. He pushed me into the girl's bathroom and like, he just started like, you know, like kissing me and groping me. And I'm just like, I'm like, whoa. And I'm just kind of like, um, you know, like kissing him and going with it. And I'm just like, okay. And then like, um, it's like, it happened so fast. It was just like a couple seconds. And then, and then he's, and then he like pushes me to, um, the handicap bathroom to the last stall which was you know the biggest stall which was the handicap bathroom and um um sidebar I feel like that's caused a lot of um psychological mental trauma on my mind that we can discuss later if we come come back around to it but he basically just like pushes me on the ground and like starts you know um obviously like just doing what he needs to do really quick and I mean kids move fast so it was like a, it was like a fast thing and I'm, like, no. and I'm like no and I'm like no and I'm like pushing and he's like big and he's a football player right and he's like bigger than me so I'm like pushing him off me and I'm just like no and my my head is like hitting the concrete on the on the you know on the on the on the wall and um, uh, and so like you know it's like he was just like on me and it just like happened and it was just like then it was just like done it was like quick and and so like, that was it. And, um, and I like went home and I was like in so much pain and I was bleeding and I was like in my upstairs bathroom, which is right here. And, um, you know, I'm like in, in pain. Right. And, um, and that night it was, it was a Friday it, because it was the first, it was the first, um, it was the first homecoming game of, of my freshman year. And I, that's how I started off my freshman year in high school. And, It was the first home game and I remember, like, I must have gotten dropped off and I was by myself and I remember just, like, walking and you pass, like, you know, you arrive and you pass all the bleachers and, like, all the, like, popular cool kids or whatever, you know, they're, like, at the very end, like, in, like, at the very end, you, like, walk pack all the bleachers and so I'm, like, and then, like, there's, like, you know, like, five or seven of my girlfriends who are, like, you know, my girlfriends. And, um, I'm going and I'm like, I'm walking up and I'm walking up towards them. And there was this one girl and they were, they were, they were boyfriend and girlfriend, but they broke up. And, um, and she, she just like, she just like glared at me. She just, she just glared, she just glared at me. I was 14 years old. These were my girlfriends one moment. And then the next moment, none of them are my friend. They all took her side. They were all silent to me. She glared at me. And in that moment and on that day, not only was I raped, I was taken advantage of, but I was shamed and blamed by females. And I, and I took it on. And I took on that responsibility of being blamed and being shamed and feeling so small and so invisible like it was my fault, you know? And so that was, that was the beginning of my freshman year. Happened on Friday. And I ended up sitting up top of it because another, another, another person, they'd probably like run off and cry or something. I don't know. But like I I um, just went like a couple bleachers above and like sat there. And I, I just sat there and I sat there through the whole game. But and I remember being able to like sit there, but I was like numb and just felt very paralyzed. And um, I feel like a lot of times I've been able to freeze and be in situations and just kind of like take it, you know, and just sit there and, 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 in whatever the abuse was, and just like sit there and cause I have strength and strong will and, and I'm just like present and there. But, um, it was very, you know, d- diminishing. And, and like I said, I was, I was 14 years old. So, um, it, it was a lot, it was a lot for, for one person in one day that, that really, you know, um, shape-shifted some of the choices that I've made and some of the behavioral patterns and some of the things of how I've been, how I've been, you know, in my life
0: thus far. I'm so sorry
1: that happened to you. Me too.
0: I felt my own body tense up as you were talking. Um, I have my own stories, but this one is about yours.
1: I've heard, I've heard. So I just want you to know that I. On your podcast, I've heard some. Some.
0: I just want you to know that um, my heart goes out to you because I know it's a really difficult thing to navigate
1: Mm, yeah especially when um um you take it on and like I'm a very intense loyal person you know and I'm very strong so I'm like oh like it'll just you know go away or like never happened didn't happen wasn't there and you bury it deep and you just keep burying it deep and when you make the choice to bury it deep and you just keep burying it deeper and deeper it just becomes like a habit that you do and you think it's like the right thing to do and you justify that choice because you didn't have someone to talk to like you didn't you know not that anyone wasn't there like well actually what happened was um i had summer school that summer so the whole year passed and then i had summer school and then i got my first boyfriend and he was a senior and because of the the intimacy of it obviously i was able to share and tell him what happened and so he and all his senior friends they're all like the popular guys him and all his senior friends showed up at his house showed up at his house with me in the car with baseball bats and i remember his he wouldn't come to the door he wouldn't come outside it was his mother and it was it was his mother and so there's um you know the town where i'm from and there's like the wealthy side and then there's like the old side and so he was on the old side, so the homes were a bit smaller than the new side. You know, my dad he designed and did the blueprint and architect and had and built our home. You know, um, he and my mom. And so, um, on the on the old tracks, on the old side, um, his mom was at the door. And I feel like he came from a broken family. So, like, I mean, I didn't know this when I was fourteen, but reflecting on it now, he comes from a broken family with without a dad. He, you know, had his mom, his mom was at the door. His mom was needing to deal with these seniors at, with the ba- with baseball bats at his door. And so his mom very well knows what he did, right? But you would think at that state that a mom would go to the school, right? But she didn't want her own child to be in trouble. She was suffering. She was scared. She probably couldn't handle her own child. You know, he was troubled. And obviously he took that out on on me, right? Not only in football, but... But on, like, me, like, another – he was a child. I was a child. We were, we were kids. He was, he was in my grade. He was a freshman as well, abrasive and uh, aggressive onto me. It doesn't matter how attractive you are. It doesn't matter how cute you are, you know? Like, like no means no, you know? Um, but anyway, so um, in the story of, you know, my boyfriend at the time when I was 14 and all his friends as seniors showing up to this kid's door – in my heart, in my mind, I'm, I, I felt good. I'm like, oh yeah. I'm like, I'm like, he got what he deserved. And that's, that's how, that's, that was, that was in my mind. That was clarity in my mind. But, but now, but then, you know, recently I was thinking about it. It's like, no, no, definitely not. Like the school shouldn't known about it. This happened on school property. Like the school still doesn't know, like the school should have known about it. You know, the, that mom, I mean, I was, t- I was too scared to tell my mom. Like, imagine if I had a relationship where I would, could tell one of my siblings or I did tell my mom or, you know, I actually had a friend I could talk to instead of my friends going against me in shaming and blaming me if I had friends who actually told a counselor or told someone or if I went and told a counselor and told someone, right, instead of taking the shame and the blame. But, like, this this conclusion of – oh, like he got what he deserved and I, there was victory because my boyfriend at the time, you know, came in and like, you know, went to bat for me and, and, and like put him in his place was also very adolescent. It was very, you know, it was, it was childlike behavior. And, and that mom, you know, a healthy, functional, ethical mom, right or wrong, I feel should have went to the school, you know, um, but like I said, you know, obviously she didn't want her own child to get in trouble and for it. So, so that didn't happen. And, and so he knew what he did was wrong because I'm sure his mom has given him crap for it over the years. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of what happened. And that was the only closure I had with it in the school system.
0: And that closure in air quotes closure is a story I think that repeats over and over in situations like these. Mm -hmm. When you feel like you, like you said, are paralyzed and don't know who to talk to or you don't feel like you have someone you can talk to or you take on the shame and the blame, right? And you try and rationalize like, well, you know, I kissed him back or, you know, I, whatever it is. Right. It's just very easy to take on the shame and the blame, mm-hmm. um, and so fast forward. How did that experience shape you? And well, once you left Detroit and started to start a new chapter,
1: well, fast forward. Even before I left Detroit, I started sip- skipping school. I was the fast. I was the fastest runner on the cross country team, or I was top three. It was Kelly, Kelly, Katie. We were the three frosh Ks. That's what people were telling us. I was on the announcements twice a week. Uh, no one cheered for me. I was in the papers twice a week, which I loved. Like you know, being a go-getter and being in the paper and being on the announcements. Um, everyone would like clap and cheer, um, but no one, no one would clap for me. I was so embarrassed when they said my name because I would do so well at the races and I was on cross country. And so after that year, after my freshman year, I ended up dropping out of cross country. I dropped, not only did I drop out of cross country and University of Michigan and all these like top 10 schools were looking at me for full scholarships. Um, I, um, You know, my dad was a cross country runner and he turned me on to cross country running, And we had like, we had this special bond and we do have a special bond. And I was born on his birthday and our birthdays are 11, 11. And, um, but yeah, so like I, I dropped out of cross country. I started skipping school. Um, I became, you know, just like this, this person, I was just like, I had, um, disassociation from school. I had, like no interest whatsoever. I knew I'm like, I'm an artist. I know what I want to do. I want to be an actor. I want to be in entertainment. So like, I, I knew like my calling. And so I just, I'm just like F these people. And I just, like I turned, I just like just, like, turned off school. I just decided just to like, turn it off and just, like, go numb. Um, I would, like, act out. I would get sent out of, of my class. Um, I would get sent out of one of my classes and in, like, third period or something, and this teacher just because, like, they didn't want to deal with me, I would be sent to this room where um, it would be people with uh, special um, uh, disabilities. And so it was, like, this handicapped person um, and this other person who was like a big bully and he like smelled really bad and he was a bully. And I tried to, I tried to bully him one time and like, he like came after me and it was so scary and I never did again. But um, and I would doodle, I would just be doodling and then I would get in trouble for drawing. So I'm like, I don't, I was always thinking like, I don't belong here. I belong in an art school. Like I don't, I don't belong here. I'd, I'd be in trouble for doodling and I love doodling. I love, I love art. Um, so, and then, and then I actually, it was, it was so bad that, um, you know, my social life at school that um, I ended up leaving that school and transferring to another school um, in Livonia. And, um, and, I, <laughs> and it, it's funny that you say how the cycle repeats itself because it's like the exact same thing happened in a different way, the exact same thing.
0: And did you have support in that time too? Or did you, did
1: what? No, No. but this time I was a senior. There were two boys who asked me to prom and I should have went with this one boy. I should have, should have went with this one boy, but I went with this, this other guy. And um, wow, it's like, so sorry, Katie. yeah yeah it 's wild how you uh, are in these situations and you just find yourself so alone and so isolated and and but then you look to yourself it 's like how do you put yourself in these situations so that 's what i 'm thinking it 's like how do you put yourself in these situ- situations right? So the second time um, it was during prom, and I literally went to prom with this kid and he was the one getting the, um, hotel room for like everyone to go back to, to party at afterwards. And so he literally during prom had us leave prom to go to, to go with this hotel room. So it'd be all set up. So when everyone came afterwards and so I didn't want to leave, I wanted to stay with the kids, you know, they're all like the popular kids or whatever. And I wanted, obviously, I was completely insecure. (laughs) And I wanted to, you know, stay and and have a good time. And he had us leave. And he got literally the hotel room ready with the keg, too, in the bathtub full of ice. And, And took advantage of me completely. And just, like, put himself on me and pressured me into having sex with him. And it was just, like, so quick, again. It's like, you know, when you're 17 or whatever, or 16, I was 16. It's just, just like, I don't know, six, 17. Yeah. No, was, yeah. 17. I think. Um, I, I was always, um, I was always like a late starter. I, I started, I started my period late. Um, um, I was, I, I started, everyone could drive and I, I, I couldn't drive because my birthday is in November. So I like, I graduated when I was 17, you know, so like everyone else was 18, but I was 17. So maybe I was 13 actually when I was a freshman and that happened. Maybe I was, maybe I wasn't 14. Maybe I was 13 because when I got a boyfriend, I was 14. So I think I was 13 actually when it, when it happened. Cause I was, I was thinking I was 13, um, in my freshman year when it happened. Cause it was the beginning of freshman year. Um, so yeah. So when I was a senior, um, and it just like happened and it was like done. I just felt like he was like done with me. And like everyone showed up at the, the hotel room and like everyone knew, everyone knew. And it was like again shame, blame, and it was just like felt like you know, yeah. So that's that's kind of like that's that that's what that's what my high school experience was like, you know. And I don't want to blame anyone or myself, but I definitely took on a lot of shame. And now as you know, as a young adult, I just look at look at it like. If I were to talk to a friend, which I do, and I'm there and I'm supportive and positive for everyone else, I just hold space for myself just to be positive for myself and say, hey, like,
0: you know, you're a good kid, you're a smart kid, like, you, you come from a good family and everyone has their stuff, you know?
1: But there wasn't drinking in my house, there wasn't drugs, there wasn't infidelity in my home. you know but but you know like I have three siblings come from a big Greek family and you know you go to school and it's a whole different story at, at school you know yeah there's ways to you know that's why community is so important building communities and and having open communication and practicing open communication and no matter what it is to be able to you know hold space and let people know like I won't judge you I don't blame you I don't shame you and you know all these things I've learned and I have practice along the way and you know I practice them with others and I practice with myself and I just come to realize that it's important to to do those things and to to keep doing those things
0: did you I mean obviously you didn't feel like you could talk to your parents despite having good role models and good examples and good family life, Um, where do you think that disconnect was where you couldn't talk to them? Or I was just going to say, I think when, when we take on that shame and blame, I think that's a lot of what keeps us silent. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, that that shame and blame definitely kept me silent and definitely kept me restricted. But, um, you know, every family does have their issues. And and based on, you know, how my mom was raised and her circumstances, um, she hasn't been a person I could go to and tell things. And um, she I don't think she had the the mental bandwidth to uh, deal with it. And I thought probably I would get into trouble. <laughs> but, um, you know, like w- when I was younger, I'd always like talk to my mom. It was like really difficult and to uh, share things. But when I would uh, talk to her, it was like peeling an onion. And I would do one layer and I'd get really excited. And on a psychological level, I would like, you know, t- like chess, like do do different layers of like talking to my mom. And right when I got to this, when I would get to like the second layer and start to peel it. It would, like, if she got, like, a tear or showed any sign of vulnerability, she would just put her shield back up and, like, go to your room or, like, that's enough, Katie. You know, and, like, she she couldn't handle that anymore. You know, um, crying to her is weak, not not a strength. Um, You know, she didn't have her parents she could talk to. I would be sent to my room or told to stop crying, if that gives you any frame of reference of being able to be um, vulnerable. So it wasn't um, advocated in my life um, with, with my mom.
0: It wasn't either in mine, and that cycle repeats. And that's why I'm so passionate about the Helping Children with Loss program that, that I facilitate because it breaks that cycle. Um, once we learn as parents how to be a heart with ears, for our kids, um, potentially could change the trajectory of their lives because, you know, had you been able to talk to your mom or she was that safe space for you, you can't unknow it once you know it. So what are you, what are you going to do about it? Right?
1: Yeah. I think that's where like a lot of my anger came from. And, and then, Mm -hmm. so I think some of that's where some of my blame came from, like some of my anger towards my mom or maybe towards my dad, like maybe some of my anger came from and I was blaming, but like I hadn't, but then that's also where my compassion came from because I don't blame them because I wouldn't in this world if it weren't for them. And they, they didn't know how, like, you know, my mom didn't know how like because her her parents didn't know how, but at a very young age, I, I decided um, I was gonna put myself and my life first and appreciate this God-given life to me and fully live it and understand it as much as possible before um, gifting life to another. So in, in the sense of my career, my my different individual, aspects of my career those have been my babies and I've been nurturing them and in you know, nurturing my life and my relationships and those have been my babies and then I decided I wanted to have children later on in life so I I have never been married and I don't have children and God willing I will but now that I've been through what I've been through and really know myself more I feel like I'm able to break the pattern that you're talking about and and have vulnerability and compassion and open communication and, and, you know, the Greeks say communication is key, you know, like communication is key. And I was always raised going places. My mom's saying, you know, going to a family member's house or going to someone's house. Oh, don't tell them anything about our family. Oh, like, don't, don't say anything. Like, don't, don't say anything. So we were always telling like, Oh, don't say this, don't say that. So it's like, you know what I mean? Like it gives mixed messages for children. It's very, very confusing and difficult. So, me, I'm just like, talk, 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 talk. And I'm just like an open book. So it's like, you know, but I mean, obviously there's certain things you say and don't say, but when, and when it comes to the home, I feel like communication is needs to, it needs to be transparent completely. So that's really cool that you have that program.
0: so what, where do you go from here?
1: Well, you're the first person I've spoken to about this on a platform and um it mustered up a lot of courage within me to do so so i where i go from here is keep taking these huge leaps and steps and speaking out loud um you know to be a ripple effect so other people could hear my story and learn from what i've been through and maybe identify with it and so um it's important I feel to uh you know, speak on it, not all the time, but definitely speak on it because um if I don't and I kind of think this would apply to all human beings, that it has power over you and it, it, it takes it takes over and it's like a it's like a blanket, like just like engulfing on on you and you're like not able to breathe and see clearly and it's just so dark and it's such a lonely place and and so um i just don't want to feel that way you know i just i just don't want to feel that way at all and i don't want another to feel that way so um you know i just i'm just like it's like chipping away you know with like an ice pick and just chipping away to to not not have it, not let it have any control over me, um, and also another thing that I do is that I've done and that I do as a human being, I take all of it and I apply it to my work. I put it into my actor, I put it into TV, I put it into film, I put it into my drawings, into my paintings, I put it into my poetry, you know. So I I take it and I apply it to art, you know, cause that's what life is for me. Um, so, and I feel like, you know, those are healthy things that I can do with the circumstances that were given to me. And I don't want to justify or compare my circumstances, my circumstances, somebody else's, because I know we all have different circumstances. So there's physical circumstances, which is bloody and gory. And, you know, but then there's Um, psychological mental circumstances, you know, like a spiritual war, a psychological war and mental health that is just as gory and bad as a physical in, in the blood that you see, you know, so mine's more of the invisible patterns and the invisible energies that you think you can't see, but you really can see and you definitely feel them you know energy is just energy and emotion so um breaking down old negative patterns and calling them at, out identifying with them and replacing them with nourishment and positive patterns
0: it's kind of it's a rewiring it's a yes. rewiring of our brains yeah
1: exactly exactly yeah yeah, so it's like we have 60 to 70,000 thoughts per day. 90% of those thoughts are the same thoughts, right? So what are we thinking about? And so like this one thing that we're speaking on is very, very deep rooted on so many ways. So to be able to speak upon it and, you know, apply new language, new, new words, new, new things, um, I feel is ultimately the goal Right. So when it, when, when it, when you're in an ocean wave and they cycle and they circle back around and you hit that iceberg, it's not as, you know, detrimental. Hopefully we can iron out and, and keep forgiving and take responsibility and, and hopefully it won't feel as bad or hurt as
0: much. Those of you listening to this, Just energetically, I would just want you to send Katie some love because I know this was not easy for you. It wasn't even easy for me to hear, if I'm being honest, because there's a lot I haven't spoken of. But it just really honestly came to light this year. And so I'm still unpacking all of that. You give me courage. This is such a message, too, for parents to hear. I have a 13-year-old. Actually, she's going to be 14. She has a countdown going on when she's turning 14, and I'm terrified. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, my um, niece, she's 12. And so I want to, like, same, right? But it's like, um, also, I want to be careful not to hold that worry and that terrifying energy, because I want to hold light and space and excitement for them, you know, to you know, to, to not, to not have that energy vibration be so low. Um, I want to be mindful of that, but also I want to be like mindful of how I can approach her and, and mindful of how I can share with her in a healthy way, um, certain things, you know, to be able to have that communication. And it, it's like with what's happened and in, in being in the world, You would think one would know how to approach those kind of things, right? But when it's your child or a child, there, there's, it's, it's not easy to, you know, have that conversation.
0: Well, and you resort to what you know, and thank the Lord that I discovered grief recovery because and Reiki, uh, because together they have definitely opened up my eyes and helped me to peel back the layers. Of myself and made me a better parent. Uh, I'm, a t-
1: I'm attuned to level two. What level are you attuned to? Did you do the master to four?
0: I'm, ma- I'm master. Oh, cool! What number? Yeah, I'm not sure. Well, I'm a Reiki master, and I'm going to be doing my Corona in a couple weeks. Corona Holy Fire. Oh, I don't um, know what that is, but that's yeah. interesting. A Sui. I'm a Sui Holy Fire Reiki master. It's the Sui lineage. I know there's several different lineages. There's many lineages, but...
1: Wow, neat. First time I've heard of that.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's changed my perspective on energy, for sure. Um, really opened my eyes. And it's been... Brought me a lot of healing, actually, too, um, in conjunction with grief recovery. Um, Great. And so to circle back, you know, with what you shared today and with the audience, and it's just so important that we recognize that when something like this were to happen with our kids or with ourselves, we resort to what we know, and I just want to say that there are new tools, and there are tools out there, and new knowledge that we can acquire to better serve um, ourselves and our children, and our communities, and things like that. And so I'm just so grateful that I found that. Um, what are some things
1: that you found useful, the new resources?
0: It's Yeah, you know, and the grief recovery method mm-hmm. itself to process, um, because you can utilize that for the relationship to the person who abused you. You can utilize that for the relationship that you have. To your body to yourself to your inner child uh you can utilize the method to to money actually your relationship with money it, it's just very versatile and um i've applied it in many ways in my life
1: uh, how yeah. did you find the program google <laughs> oh, okay okay and did you, is it in north um dakota that you did the program
0: no it's actually online um okay You can find it online, the grief recovery method. It's online, but I got certified in the method in Austin, Texas. Okay. In March of last year. Yeah.
1: I always, I will, I've always wanted to go to Austin, Texas. I haven't been there yet. I almost went a few times for South by South South by Southwest, but um, cool. That's, it's so great that you went through the program. That's why I felt like really uh, safe and um, trusting to speak with you on this topic because you've, you know, been in the program and, You've, you know how to hold space and I just felt like it would be a really, you know, good safe space to be able to share you know for grieving voices
0: Thank you for that Yeah, and that is my goal that is my goal, to be yeah. a heart with ears so I as I mentioned, you know, or as we talked about I discovered the grief recovery method and, and Reiki that's greatly helped me feel back the layers of my trauma and grief and all of that. And you mentioned that you've been basically channeling it into your art and what you experienced into your art and the work that you do. Um, what are your goals for your art and do you, how do you plan, now that we, you've kind of started to speak out about this, how do you feel about it moving forward? And, you know, is it, is advocacy something that you're interested definitely.
1: in? Definitely. I, I definitely want to be an advocate. Um, I definitely am. I feel very um, raw and vulnerable um when I first identified with it, I think it was like in 2016, when I saw this film Girl on the Edge at the SAG Foundation in Los Angeles, um, you know, when when the lead actor at the end, you know, she picked up her little rock and it said R-A-P-E on it, it said rape on it. Uh, it really struck home with me and I connected with the director and I, I was so moved by it that I wrote an article on the Huffington Post and actually it was so raw and real that the Huffington Post didn't publish it. I had to edit it down and make it um more tailored um so so it's it's published now but um I'm not sure if it's because I was um I'm not a doctor like a you know a PhD to speak on this topic or um if it was just like too much at the time but I was able to publish that article and I was very uh, it felt really like You know, when something first happens, it's like that raw feeling where it's like really fresh, like wounded and like very vulnerable. So I felt that for a while. Um, And that was in, it was in December, I remember. And then, and then I, um, in May, I went to Lightning in a Bottle and I was grieving with a healer during Lightning in a Bottle, this week music festival. He had, he did this like ocean thing where I put the person and the situation into an ocean bottle and it just got smaller and smaller and it kept going away. And I was just like, it was a huge music festival with like, you know, 15,000 people there. So I was like, rah, rah. And I was like screaming and crying and just like really letting it out. And I felt like I did. I felt like I did. And I did. I had like a big release about it. And then, and then 2017 happened, 18, 19, I kind of went through life and things were still like, you know, kind of like confusing and foggy. Um, And then the Epstein documentary came out and I was very, I like wanted to see it, but I was um, hesitant to see it. And I was, uh, had the resistance, but then it was during, um, it was like right when 2020 during the lockdown, right when, um, the riots were just happening. And literally I, it was a Thursday and I sat down and I watched four, all four episodes in a row and afterwards, I was just stone cold, like buzzing and numb. And I was up till like six, seven in the morning. I I couldn't sleep. I was just up. And it's like all these pieces of, of like all these years, it was all these pieces just like came together where I thought they like came together before, but now they came together. And it was like, it was the clearest they could ever be. It all came together. And it was, it was like mapped out. And I, and I just watched my choices from being 14 up until now in my life of all the choices that I made with, with um, with males and male partners and um, and circumstances and situations and invitations. And, and I, when the whole me too movement came out a few years ago, but like I was, I was like, I, I was, I was noticing the way I didn't talk to anyone about it, but I was noticing the way I was reacting to it inside. I was very like judgmental. I was very like, I was, there was, there was a voice in there. It's like, I want to share, there was a voice in there where I wanted to post something or I want to do a hashtag of me too. But then, but then the next thought was like, Oh, those, those girls just want attention or um, someone's just going to think they want attention or, or I'm, I don't want to be a part of this. Cause that's like, Oh, I'm like one of the herd or one of the sheep. And I'm so I'm like, I'm judging them. I'm judging me like, and, and being a part of that. I'm I'm judging. So I'm doing a lot of judging here. And, me too. Things happening. It just it just keeps happening. It just keeps going on. It just it just and it keeps cycling back up. And, and I and I continue to stay silent. I continue to judge. I continue to you know um, say something to myself about it and not to anyone else. But but bury it deep down. And so I'm like because I disassociate. I'm like oh that's not me. Like I justified. Oh that's not me. That 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 that's them. That's not me. Right. That was the justification for it. And then I saw this Epstein documentary and I watched it and the 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 first woman and her sister from their experience and they went to the police and the FBI and said something off of that experience I was like holy crap this is like this is like nothing compared to what I've seen and what I've been through I'm like if this person's saying it like how unhealthy am I? How unhealthy is this situation that I, I've been justifying? Because if this is a, this small, of a situation, but they win, you know, I was like, oh my God. And then I went on to watch, you know, the, the, the four series, the documentary in look, looking and hearing all these other girls stories. And because of these other girls that had a broken family or they didn't have a mom or they didn't have a dad or they were into drugs or they were, they were like drinking or, or didn't have parents or they dropped out of school they or whatever it's like oh i didn't i didn't have i would I, I was justifying this whole i i don't i didn't do cocaine i didn't do drugs i didn't have parents who did drugs i don't my moms here my dads here they're here like i don't have like stepfathers and people coming and going i wasn't sexually abused like you know by a parent like this didn't happen to me so i would i would i went on in life and i would be on these um private yachts in the south of France. I would be, oh you know, with these multimillionaires and multi-billionaires and I would be going, you know, I would be having lunches and dinners and, you know, like, I'm like, oh, the you know, they would tell me how smart I am and how pretty I am. They would tell me how gorgeous I was and how smart I was. And I felt so special. And I'm like, yeah, obviously, duh. Of course I'm beautiful. Of course I'm gorgeous. Of course you want to be around me because I'm all this and that. Although I'm not going to have sex with you. I'm not going to let you touch me. I'm not going to do anything with you. But I'll allow I'll allow you to buy me dinner. I'll allow you to buy me lunch. I'll accept the invitation to go on a private jet and to go on yachts and to have these experiences all over the world. And I'm, I'm the one – you know, having a good old time on your dime and I'm seeing the world and I'm doing all these like cool things, but you're not, you're extending an invitation to me, but you're not, I'm not sleeping with you. I'm not sleeping in the same bed with you. I have my yeah. own, I have my own bedroom. I have, I have, so, so I would justify, I'd be like, but, but then you're watching the documentary and they're telling the girls how special they are, how, how, how smart they are, but then they take it to the next level and they abuse them sexually. But I justified it. I'm like, oh, that's not me because I don't allow them to touch me. But no, that you know what I am? I am in the same situation. I am the same. Ca- it is me too. I am in the same category because because these girls who are – You know, doing the drugs or you know doing the whatever they want the 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 sexual stuff that I'm not doing. I'm just like one of the girls. I'm just one of the pretty girls. Where it's like they just you know some of them they just like to have like you know five to ten girls around, right? They just like to have like all these eye candies around. And so for them, even though what's them paying for a meal or, or paying for a flight or having me go here or there, they just like having the entourage of females around, right? not that I went to like too many things where there's like entourages of females, but I have been in situations where there's been, you know, more than one girl there. And although I wasn't doing anything and they were, I felt like, Oh, I was like scheming them or I got away, but no, I was under the victim umbrella and I was justifying my own circumstances under that umbrella. And I I was like, Oh my God, that's so unhealthy. And by seeing that documentary Epstein, I was like, Oh, I am me too. It, It is a me too thing. And I felt like the shackles come off. I felt the, the, the shield come down, you know, and I had a lot of deep sadness for myself. I had a lot of deep sadness for myself because this whole entire time, you know, growing up in California and being around all these different people and events and parties, um, in LA and New York and Paris and London and around the world, um, and it wasn't all that, but it was It was in there. It wasn't all that, it was, but it was intertwined. It was interwoven, you know? And I just, I kept this like thread. It was like this thread of in, through my life. And I know we all have different threads we carry around, but this this one thread I feel stems from that experience from when I was 14, you know? And I took on the shame. I took on the blame. I took on the pressure. I took on those things. I took on those things, although I protected myself and I'm, you know, one with God and I have my faith and my morals and my values. And I wanted to experience, you know, all these materialistic, fantasizing, fun things without the cost of giving up my sexual identity. Right. Um, And also being taken advantage of. I was already closed off. Like no one could get past there. I was like closed off. Like it's not happening, you know. And it just, it just wouldn't happen. You know, it just, it, it just wouldn't, you know, a lot of times because I was tough and, and strict and strong in these ways of my personality, but also my morals and my values. I also feel like some of that closed offness because I made the choice not to let anyone in because I, something was taken for me because like no means no, but, but because it was taken for me. So maybe it, when it happened in my young adult life, you know, going through my twenties, you know, in California and around the world and stuff, maybe that um, also gave me an internal strength and a build on to where I wasn't going to let anyone prey on me, you know, because I I knew what it felt like already. So these other girls in life who have their own experiences, you know, I'm, I'm watching them in the documentary and it happened, you know, many times over and over. And I was always just like, oh, they're so weak. Like before the documentary, I'd be like, "Oh, those girls are weak, they have no morals, they have no values to allow those kind of things. I would justify it, you know and 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 just say something like, oh, they're doing coke, they're doing an eight ball of Coke or something like that you know they're they're just you know having sex for money or something like that, you know and i would I would judge them i would I would judge them, and when you're judging others, you're only really judging yourself, you know, and l- like I said, I felt like I had a one up over them. Like I was better than them because I didn't allow that repeated abuse going over and over, but it was, it was still abuse on a psychological level. And it was just unhealthy patterns just to be a part of, right. When I could have been in a relationship with somebody, when I could have been around real friends, real friends, and not people who aren't your friends, you know? So I, I was really, really frustrated and angered and really mad at myself for, not building up healthier friendships and communities earlier on. I do now. I'm grateful that I have them now and I'm developing them. But of course, you're always wondering like, oh, you know, what if that didn't happen or what if I wasn't a part of those things thinking I had to be a part of those things to, to make certain things happen, you know, from my own limiting beliefs and isolation of not communicating and, and sharing, you know, un, unhealthy, unhealthy thoughts and beliefs come up.
0: Well, and the one thing that when, with you sharing that, what came up for me is I remember back to when you said when you first saw your girlfriends after that happened and they pretty much just dismissed you and shamed you and judged you and kind of cut you off, right? And Yep. So these girls then later in life you know, it's get them before they can get me.
1: Well, also um growing up um you know, my mom she really did coax us with um like how beautiful we were, you know, how she was very nurturing with like taking care of our hygiene and using lotions and and taking care of our our bodily temples. And so I always grew up knowing I was beautiful, you know, like, and my sister was gorgeous too. And she is. And so I went to school thinking like every, I was complimenting all these girls and I I was like, Oh, you're so gorgeous. You're so pretty. Like, I love your hair. I love your eyes. And I would always be very complimentary of what, like someone was wearing or how they looked or something like that, just because it's like in my friendly nature personality. But I thought everyone was beautiful. Like, like the bat, like, like your hand, like, you know, you have a front and a back. Like, I just thought everyone was gorgeous. Like, that's how I was trained. That's how I was, I was taught growing up. And so a lot of times, um, girls, they're so insecure. And with my, like, voice and my bold personality, they would, I, I guess I, I, they, I would make them feel small or insecure because they would shy away from me. Or maybe they thought, like, I was being fake about it. Or maybe they didn't think I was being authentic, right? And so sometimes I had girlfriends... But then as soon as they got a boyfriend, they would stop being my friend. And I remember some of my teachers, this one teacher, when I was um, a freshman in college, I ended up getting a full scholarship for cross-country running. <laughs> um, but when I stopped running and then came back to it, it was like the comeback queen. But that's that's another story if you want to hear about it. But I ended up getting back into running um, because of my dad, and I went for it. And I remember one of my teachers, she sat me down and she said, listen, like, you're, you're so beautiful. You're, like, you're so attractive. Um, and she's like, and you're smart. And, you know, I, with my voice, she said, you know, she sat me down and told me that a lot of girls are going to be jealous of me. Um, a lot of girls are going to be the way that they were because she saw how they were in school to me. They were so mean to me. They were so mean to me. Um, so in addition to um, being taken advantage of, you know, and having my virginity taken away from me um, without my consent. Um, in addition to all that, with the blame and the shame, with also just like being like a, a like a beautiful human being, the like, kids are very cruel. So, so then, so then it, it's a lot, right? It's like there's this layer and this layer, and there's this situation, this situation, and then when they all come together, you, how do you spread it out to know what's what? What is what? You know, it's it's, it's a lot. Definitely a lot. And um I so I remember growing also growing up in entertainment. Um, one of my best friends, he's so cool, um, Jay Loganhorn, um, he took me to his friend's birthday dinner, and I knew about his one friend, and I like I really like idolized her and I admired her, and um it was her birthday, and he brought me to dinner with her. And um, her name is Jessica Stam. She's gorgeous. She's from Canada and she's a beautiful model. And um, we went to this dinner and she's younger than me. But the way she was with me, she was so graceful and kind. And she looked at me as her equal. And like, she was like edgy and cool. And we became like friends instantly. And we've been friends ever since. And she's younger than me. And she's quote unquote, more successful than me. Right. I mean, success is You know um, measured right so but in my eyes of wanting a role model because at a young age i've always wanted role models and for an interpersonal female feminine divine relationship that was really important for me i remember when i met her and she was younger than me and i looked up to her and she was so because she was so successful and like um in her career she didn't, even though I was gorgeous, you know, and and bold and loud, like she could had space to celebrate me and to honor me. And, and she wasn't jealous of me and she wasn't cunning and looking down to me. And it was really nice to identify and get with someone who was, who was like a mere reflection of how I was for others. Right. And it took a long time for me to, to meet someone um, like her and, and she's very special and, And I admire her greatly. And she kind of gave me a new hope of confidence of what it could be like to, you know, keep the faith and keep being how I was. And, and, and since then I've met a lot of beautiful, empowering, beautiful women and gems along the way. And I've deepened my relationship with the divine feminine and have real true relationships with females. So that's, that's a part of it all too, you know,
0: a lot of ripples. Yeah. From one experience, you know, and that's yeah. just, that's a very good example of ripples, of how we can have one experience and how it just transcends time and writes on who we are and how we present ourselves to the world. And once we recognize and have a certain level of awareness, it's kind of rediscovering ourselves again.
1: And it's like the way that I always was, That's how I wanted like all my girlfriends to be. That's how I wanted to be with all my girlfriends, you know, and, and to truly be in that. But with, with how I, with how I grew up and, you know, you know, we're kids, like I didn't grow up, um, you know, as a, as a child in LA where there are people who have careers already. Right. So like I'm growing up in Michigan. So people are still, you know, kids and going to school and, and what have you. So I understand, I understand, um, That it took time for me to meet a match of mine who was at the level where I was at in regards to women empowerment and and the strength um, one has for you know being being a human and being that voice for others. We are who we are, and sometimes it gets covered in some muck, right? But then once in a while, a gem comes around like Jessica, and it just like it just it's a mirror reflection. It reminds you of who you are and. And, and you being your best self and, and, you know, knowing that maybe you've had some like lonely times and, and roads, um, you know, and it's very <clears throat> obviously intimate and raw. Um, And I don't even think she understands the level of impact it's, it's had for me and how special our friendship is, but it, it really is. And, um and so I continue to be that, for others, because it's who I am, and and like I said, I've met um, females along the way. Tish Hicks, who has the VO Dojo, who's you know a pioneer in voiceover. Uh, Randy Thomas, who um, was the first female disc jockey, and she paved the way for women in voiceovers. She's the voice of ABC Nightline. She's the first woman anchor you know she was the first female disc jockey she's the first woman anchor she's been the voice of the oscars for 10 times um total she's been the voice of the tonys for 21 years in a row and she's my friend and she's my role model and mentor and you know I'm like her spiritual daughter she's like my she's like my spiritual mom and so i've met these beautiful women along the way who are successful and you know, proud to call me their friend and i'm I'm honored to have them on my journey and they support me you know speaking um what I do what what comes up for me and they they hold space for me, and I honor them and it's like with everything that's happened it's I feel like I appreciate it even more and it, and the relationship is even more juicier you know because i've I've been through the hardships, and they know what it's like because we all have our our own hardships, you know. And I know I have the strength and the determination to be there for them if and when they need me. And I feel like that's what, you know, the journey is about being, showing up and being there for one another.
0: A lot of great messages today Uh, for parents. Thank you for sharing your story, your grieving voice for the first time. And I'm honored that you felt safe sharing it with me.
1: My pleasure. My pleasure. You know, I, I write poetry as well. And, um, I haven't even written about this in my poetry because it's so isolating and so scary that I've been even scared to write it down, like even, Mm -hmm. even in poetry. So maybe in the near future, you'll be able to read some of my poetry as I'm being more open about this. And, um, I make music under the sophisticated psychos and, um, are, the music's really cool, and so I put the emotion and things into music. There hasn't been too many lyrics on this topic, but it's food for thought in this moment that maybe there'll be songs in the future because I do spoken word poetry as well. Maybe I'll create a piece where you know I talk on this topic in a in a poetic kind of way to share and educate and be a ripple effect for others. I'll have to meditate on that some more. It'll come to me, but I do – make um, coming from Detroit in the underground music scene. I do make beats and all the music's available on all streaming platforms. I actually have uh, an EP coming out October 20th. Uh, It's in a few weeks here. And I uh, leaked a couple of my own music videos on YouTube. It's on the sophisticated psychos YouTube page. Um, But I actually teamed up with um, subtle energy. And so we put healing frequencies. We encoded healing frequencies in our music and um, Eric Thompson, who owns, um, created subtle energy sent me all these frequencies and I could choose which frequencies I wanted on these beats that I'm releasing. Um, and what stuck to me immediately was 639 Hertz and 639 Hertz fosters forgiveness, forgiveness on a planetary level with what we're going through right now and for self and, and you know, for others and just to mend our relationships whatever kind of relationship we've had with all these kind of relationships that we're dealing with. So um, I'll send it to you. I would love for you to check it out. And if your viewers want to check it out too, um, I'm really proud. It's something new. I feel like I'm really turning um, new leaves right now. Um, so I'm really, I'm really excited, you know, that we cross paths and that we're on each other's journeys and knowing me more. I think you'll probably understand my art more as well maybe you'll see it in the depths of my soul when you're seeing me on TV or film or something that I'm not just acting, that it's actually comes from a place where I've had the courage to, you know, tap into these vulnerable moments. And, you know, that's why actors and artists are who they are because they're willing to go there. You know, they're willing to, to go there. It's, um, you know, it's, it's an honor. It's an honor to be able to be a vessel for everything we've talked about.
0: That's amazing. Um... I just love how you're channeling all of that into the, into the work that you do. And, and it does. It creates ripples. And I hope that this podcast does as well. And um, Me too. And I, one of the messages, too, that I, I feel I want to mention and that you shared is that it's important to find your people. Find the people that support you, that lift you up, that, like you said, hold a mirror to you of who you really are and who, yeah. where you shine, and yeah. they lift you up.
1: Yeah, I love kundalini yoga. I've I really found my tribe through kundalini all these years. Before I knew the word kundalini yoga, before I ever practiced it, I was naturally doing kundalini growing up. I started doing kundalini when I was eight. I would just do it naturally by myself. I didn't even know I was doing it. Um, I, what, I, was, I was just practicing it. And so that's definitely in my tribe Um, I do a lot of voiceovers and I love voiceovers because you can be as big and loud and wacky as you want. And the the wackier and the louder, the better, the more fun it is because in voiceovers in acting, you don't want to be a bad actor and overact, but in voiceovers, they want you to go super big with animation because they can always bring you down. But if you're going so small down like this, they don't know if they could bring you up. So it's really good to be bold and big. So I find through the VO community, I'm able to, you know, be in a booth, and I'm able to do my work and it's all about my choices, my intention and how I sound more so to what I look like. And I feel like I've done a lot of on-screen acting and I like to put it on the back seat for a while and I was doing other things. Um, and now I'm, I'm going to get back on screen again. But when I took the time out, uh, part of the psychological journey of taking time out and and not being on camera and not being seen was a part of me hiding. And, and I would just be hiding because I would feel judged by people, right? Hiding the shame, hiding the blame, isolating. So I'd feel safe to be wild, loud, and crazy in a voiceover booth, but not having people look at me because I'm gorgeous or judge me or treat me a certain way because of how I looked, Or something that I've been through. So I've been acting the whole entire time. I just kind of took a back seat from being on screen for a while, just from, you know, the pressures of of life and and stuff we've talked about. But I've done a lot of soul searching and digging and things we've talked about. I created my own podcast. So um, if y'all want to check it out, it's called She's All Over the Place podcast. So um, I'm grateful to have the podcast and I'm grateful to, you know, have the space to Take the space to to sort and figure this all out, and then to share it, and yeah, so um, I just took new headshots, and so now I'm going to focus on um, getting back on uh, TV and film, so that's that's very exciting.
0: Awesome. Come out from behind the microphone, right? Yeah, and it makes sense to me that you would feel like we're made to feel small and to shush right, made to shush for a long time, and so time
1: yeah. to shine i was gonna say like like i came out of the gate like you know like boom all, all out and then i'm out there and i'm doing these things and then with the stuff we've talked about now i've i've taken time and space to reflect identify sort through them it took like a long time to because then you feel like you know what you're doing and then you keep going but then it's like wait something still feels off and there's the, the confusion the cloudiness and there's the whole journey that you're going through so I feel like now especially in 2020 since the lockdown I've been able to just really take a back seat and really stop everything stop all the patterns stop all the cycles and just just let everything just like fall down and when I think it's all down because before like I thought it was all down and then I kept going but but it, some stuff came out but but it wasn't right And so now I've been able to really stop and just when you want to like, okay, okay, keep going, no, be able to stop more, be able to stay still longer and, and, and more stuff has come up. And so now I'm excited because I, since I really held held depth of space, you know, now I can, like I said before, I can take it and apply it to my work so I can go back on screen knowingly knowing, like more confident than ever. It's like, and this time execution, like bullseye, like no one, nothing, whatever is going to stop me. Cause through and through in and out, everything that's happened, good, bad, and in between, I know myself so well. Like Socrates says, know thyself. And before it's like, you think you know yourself and you're always getting to know yourself. But now it's like in 2020 now more than ever, right? Know thyself. I can take that ammunition and apply it to my craft and to my work. And make multi millions of dollars doing it, with a smile on my face.
0: Amen. I yeah. love that. Amen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's your birthright, and yes. you don't have to do do be or say or perform in any way to receive love. To receive, you know, we got to give that to ourselves first. And really? Yeah, definitely. I thank you for being my guest today, and for sharing all that you shared. And if people want to reach out to you, where can they find you? I know you mentioned the podcast.
1: Yeah. She's all over the mm-hmm. place podcast. Subscribe. Um, my handle is um, our, um, my brand is uh, the sophisticated psycho. So we're on all music streaming platforms, but you know, people can just email me at imagine Katie at, um, at gmail.com. Imagine Katie at gmail.com. And then, you know, I'm on all the social media handles. I just go by Chinakis, my last name.
0: And that's C-H-O-N-A-C-A-S.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And
0: I will put the links in the show notes.
1: Yeah, my website is just chinacas.com. That's probably the best way to reach out. Everything's there. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you so much, Katie. Uh-huh.
1: My pleasure. Thank you. Thank it's you. Really unique experience. And I just, I love the name Grieving Voices. And I just, I really identified with it immediately. So it was a really good fit for us. I, I really appreciate you. And it was an honor to share my story here, you know, because it's like, if not now, when, you know, like when it's like, it's been happening for so long and I'm not getting any younger. And if we really want to, um, make an impact, we just need to actually take action on those things. So I feel like today was a um, big success for both of us. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Love that. All right, everybody, thank you for tuning in. And like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, um, just send Katie some energetic love. And my grieving voice, my grieving heart goes out to you. And um, this is not the end. I have no doubt we will be keeping in touch. Yay, definitely. Thank you all for listening. Um, Until next time, take care and much love. From my heart to yours, thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please share it, because sharing is caring. And until next time, give and share compassion by being a heart with ears. And if you're hurting, know that what you're feeling is normal and natural. Much love, my friend.